0: God is doing in the world. We believe that God has chosen to work through local churches. Local churches who stand on his word are powered by the spirit. And we get to experience life in the kingdom of God, which is what we're talking about this year. We're, we're examining what does it mean. And, and this summer, what we've been doing is we're, we're talking about the promises of, of the kingdom of God that apply to those who believe. And we're, we're doing that by studying the Beatitudes. And what Be- the Beatitudes are, are, they are characteristics of a disciple of Jesus Christ that have with them a corresponding promise. And so you'll see that the rhythm is... Uh, blessed are, and then the characteristic quality that describes the disciple, and they shall be, and it's a promise of God, that 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 we will benefit from being who we are in Christ Jesus. Again, every one of these begins with the word blessed. And, and I just want to remind you again, that's makarios. It means possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by fullness from God. No matter what circumstances we're in, we experience the favor of God, the blessing of God. Of God. And this is not just for the super elite Christians. This is for everyday believers. The, these blessed qualities are for true for all believers. They're made actual in Christ. They're, they're sought by all saints and, and they're partnered with these promises. And again, we are never gonna display and experience these qualities. Perfectly. But, but as we pursue Christ, we will discover the goodness of the life we have in Christ in the kingdom of God. And these promises will begin to be realized and, and we can enjoy them. Today, we're going we're to study this, this promise that belongs to, to those who are pure in heart. The promise that belongs to those who are pure in heart. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go now to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 8, and I'm going to ask Harper to come and read that verse and a couple of others. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Again, this is the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount. It begins with these Beatitudes. So, Harper, if you would start in verse 8 and read along. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen, amen. Thank you, Harper. If you would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of, of God's word. So t- today we we want to we want to understand what this means. W- what is pure in heart, and what does it mean that we shall we shall we shall see God? Let's. Let's tackle our our terms, uh, first of all. Who are the pure? Let Let me share this definition. It's on the screen for you. The pure are those who have been transformed by the gospel and now prioritize God's pleasure and glory in all things. They've been transformed by the gospel. These are not people who are trying to do their best. These are are not people who are following rules or are necessarily a part of institutional religion. These are people that have been transformed by the living Christ. Having repented, turned away from self-sufficiency, we now trust in Christ and what he accomplished in his death, paying for our sin. and, And now through the resurrection, now that he's alive, lives in us. And so this is a a transformation that happens by the good news of what Christ has done, and it changes our priorities. We we now want God's pleasure. We now want God's glory. So that's pure, the pure, but it's pure in heart. So what's the heart? The heart is the controlling center of a person's life shaped by one's thoughts, affections, and wills. So they're gonna leave that up there, and let's look at the, the, the... the, the, those, that triad there, first of all, thoughts. W- what this means is those who have been transformed by the gospel, our thoughts, our thoughts are to please God and to bring him glory because our heart has been changed by the gospel. Now we have the pure in heart. Our, our, thaw- our thoughts are, are all about his pleasure and his glory, our affections, how we love, first and foremost, Our affections are for God's pleasure and God's glory. Before we love anything else, before we we necessarily prioritize anything else, it's all about God's pleasure. Does this please God? That moves my heart. Is it for God's glory? That moves my heart. And then will, That, 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 that capacity of human beings to make choice, more than just responding naturally in our instincts but having the volition that is the 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 choice of of a moral creature made in the image of god who says my will is the pleasure of god my will is the glory of god and so to have to be the pure in heart is to be made pure by the gospel and to have our hearts moved by the purity that is within us again please understand on this side of heaven Without resurrected bodies, w- without the, the the reign of the new heaven and new earth under King Jesus, we are never going to be perfect. We are, we are never going to, to perfectly live out this pure heart. But what we will do is that we will have a trajectory of purity. We will have a tra- trajectory that seeks God's pleasure and, and God's glory in our affections and our thoughts and in our will. You know, the, the, the trajectory is the general direction. Once you're, you know, a trajectory happens when something is struck. You know, I, I, it's funny to me, you think about, you know, in football, you know, there's a, there's a field goal kicker and what does he do? He kicks the ball and once that ball is struck, it now has a trajectory or, or you take golf, you know, you take a golfer putting, you know, they put the, they put the ball. Once that ball is struck, now it has a trajectory. And, and what's humorous to me is you'll see very intelligent men and women who, who know basic laws of science and physics. Once a ball is struck, and yet they look like, you know, on the sidelines, you just look at them, they're just like, you know, they think they can move the ball, right? By their, their contortions of bodies. I mean, these are grown intelligent people. But, but well, here's what we know. Once the trajectory is hit, that, that's the direction that it will go. Friends, let me ask you, what has struck you? And what is your trajectory? we've all been struck what has struck you and has defined you now and and basically it has chosen for you your trajectory do you do do you have a gospel trajectory have you experienced the risen christ and been struck by him and now you're 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 following in that path that comes with being transformed and being being given and being made pure in, in heart. We we look at the three circles and we look at this every week. And it's important that we, we not only be able to see it and, and recognize it, but we be able to share it. Understanding that God's design is harmony. And because of our sin, there's brokenness. But if we will repent and believe the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's the good news that, that God came down, took on flesh, lived a holy life died for our sins on that cross and was raised on the third day. And now because he's forgiven us of our sin, now because he's alive and he's alive in those of us who believe, having given us a pure heart, we can pursue and recover God's design. And that's our trajectory, God's design. Having been made pure by the gospel, this is now the direction of our life. Those who have been saved, we've been given a pure heart and we shall see God. Now each week to help us understand each beatitude, we've, we've, we've studied a, a, a different Bible character. This week we're going to be in the New Testament. This week we're going we're to study the life, um, actually more accurately, we're going to study the death of Stephen. So if you would, leave Matthew chapter 5 and let's go to Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, we see the selection of the first deacons of the early church. And we see Stephen being chosen uh, amongst them. And we see him then living out this pure heart that he'd been given in Christ and and what happens. And so what what I hope you see today is what, what a pure heart lives like, and then what it is to see God, what it's like to see God. There's a few things I would encourage you to write down and remember, and the first one is this. The pure in heart, the pure in heart will develop godly character. It's just what you do. Once you've been transformed by the gospel, you're compelled to develop godly character. Uh, Look at verse five. Look at this description of Philip and why he was selected. It says, they chose Stephen, I'm sorry, not Philip, Stephen. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So understand that there were people who were able to watch, watch his life see what he was doing and and say, Stephen, Stephen is, this is a man who is full of faith. This is a man who is full of the Holy Spirit. Look in verse eight. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen had given his life to Christ and Christ became his identity and and, and Christ was his purpose. Friends, whatever we worship, whatever defines us, that will determine our trajectory and what we pursue. Everyone here is being defined by something. Everyone here identifies with something as something. And whatever that is, whatever you say you are, whatever you are pursuing and you claim as your desire, that will define everything about your life. Stephen lived a life full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And it was obvious to those who were near him writing to his protege, Timothy, look what the apostle Paul wrote in 1 Timothy chapter 4. It's on the screen for you. He says, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them. Why? So that all may see your progress. Christians, can those who are closest to you see your progress? Progress in Christ. Can they see the, the heart of Christ, this pure heart in your life? Can they see it lived out? Do they see you developing godly character? Unfortunately, there, there are many who have stopped growing. Unfortunately, there are there, there are many who are have gotten comfortable with where they are. I, I think about uh, this week I was thinking about a, a, an athlete in his family that I knew. He was a good athlete, he was a very good athlete. And his parents wanted to see him develop and he could have developed. And I remember hearing about a conversation his parents had with him and they said, you need to go train. You need to go out and, and, and make the most of the talent. He said, I'm already good enough. And can I tell you, he wasn't. He was good, but he wasn't as good as he, as he could have been and should have been because he didn't want to do the work. How many Christians in this room, how many Christians that can hear my voice right now Maybe you don't say it out loud, but your actions communicate. I'm good enough. I'm good enough. I, I don't, I, I've done my part. I've done the Bible study. I've done the small group thing. I've, I've done the service thing. I, you know, I, I went to worship. I go when I can now, but I'm, I'm good enough. Friends, we need to take a lesson from the Apostle Paul. This is, I put it on the screen for you. This is Philippians 3. We, we need to say what he said. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal. Press on. I press on towards the goal. I strain forward. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Does that describe you? Are you straining toward Christ? Are you pressing with everything you are Towards the, the, the destiny that God has given your life, are you pressing in this pure heart that has been gifted to you by the grace of God and, and seeking out this trajectory that the Lord has graciously given to you? You say, "Well, how do I do that? Well, friends, there's some real basic things. First of all, every day, you study the Word of God and you pray the Word of God. Are you in the Word of God? I mean, is, is the word of God a normal part of your daily life? And, and, and not just reading. Okay, I, I spent my 10 minutes. Okay, I got my I got my reading done. Check. No, no, no. Reading the word of God so that the word of God reads you. So that the word of God reveals to you what you need to change, allowing it to convict you so that you pray and ask God to bring about that, that transformation of your character. You know, secondly, accountability. Men with men, women with women. We all need people in our life that love us enough to tell us the truth. Men with men, women with women, able to speak to truth with love and and to guide them into, into the way they're processing and the way they're pursuing this godly character. A third one is service. Friends, if you want to grow, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone, you know, we have a lot of faithful servants that have served here at Living Hope for, for many years. And it breaks my heart the number of people when we say, hey, you know, I know during COVID, we didn't see you for a while. Are, are you ready to get, get back? At, I'm good enough. I'm good. I'm, I'll let somebody else do that now. I, I've done my part. You know what they're telling me? I'm good enough. Everything that my Christian life consists of, I, I've done everything. I'm not straining toward what is ahead. I am not going forward in my Godward calling in Christ Jesus because I'm good enough. Friends, if you want to if you want to get stronger, you know what you have to do with a muscle? You have to make it uncomfortable. You have to work it till it hurts and it will grow stronger. And the way I grow most effectively. In my life, what I have seen in my own, in my own personal walk with Christ, the way I have, I have grown the most is through sharing my faith in Jesus Christ with people who don't believe. Because when I share my faith with people who don't believe, you know what they do? They ask really good questions like, How can you believe that? How can you believe in that kind of God? How can you believe in a God that is described in that Bible? And and to have to defend my faith and defend and understand what I believe and why, it it helps me to develop the character that has been given to me in Christ because my heart has been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But now knowing and being able to experience this, 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 this great change, it doesn't just happen. You have to strain you have to have the, tra- the trajectory set and then you've got to strain forward with all that you are in Christ to fulfill it. Secondly, secondly, the, the pure in heart will define gospel convictions. You might add the adverb clearly, define clearly gospel convictions. And that's what Stephen did. This man who was recognized with godly character, who, who was growing and developing, he, he was also able to communicate his own personal gospel convictions. Look in verse 10. It's very effective. It says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. What's that mean? That means that he was making sense. That his life, his life connected with his words and his words connected with his life. He wasn't a person that talked about faith and, and lived a different way. This is a person who lived what He believed. And was able to articulate it and communicate it and stand in it. And, and, and this is what we're all called to. This is not just for, you know, special uh, apostolic first century church, special people who are listed in the Bible. Look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll put it on the screen for you. Verse 15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that, are, that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Friends, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to eagerly and capably define your gospel convictions. I can remember the first person I led to Christ. When I led that person to Christ, I had yet to fully read all of the gospels at that time. I hadn't read a majority of the New Testament. I was a new Christian, but here's what I knew. I knew that Jesus was the son of God, that he'd lived a holy life, that he had died to pay for sin, that he'd been raised on the third day and that he had changed my life. And that's, that's all that that friend of mine needed to be saved. Amen. Amen. Praise God. It's easy. It's not complicated. But I will tell you, I will tell you, as as I have come to understand scripture more, you know what I've done? I've become more competent in sharing my faith and answering questions. And I've become a whole lot more confident that my gospel, the gospel, is true. You know, when I see people angry, screaming, when I see so-called Christians angry, screaming at people who don't believe, you know what the first thing that comes to my mind is? They don't have confidence in the gospel, See, if you've got confidence in something, you don't have to scream and get angry and want to fight people over it. See, when you know the truth and the truth has set you free and you're sure, sure, sure of the truth, all you got to do is communicate the truth with love. That's what, that's what Peter's saying is with gentleness and respect. You don't have to go poke people in the chest. All you got to do is, is speak what is true. Christians, good news. The truth is on our side. And all we have to do is share this truth. Amen? Praise God. Praise Him. Now, this this sharing of truth, the way way Stephen does it here, it's powerful. Go to chapter seven. I mean, and again, this is, it is powerful, but let me also say this. Boys and girls, children, you could do this. Every single saved saint could communicate what is here in Acts 7, verses 2 through 50. What is this? This is a gospel presentation from the Old Testament. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Now, again, this will take time. This is not going to happen in 15 or 20 minutes. If you take this challenge, you need to understand you're committing yourself to several hours of study. But here's the challenge. Go through Acts 7, 2 through 50, and every time every time Stephen re- references an Old Testament story, go and read it and then write down how it explains the fulfillment in Christ. So see, some of you, if you win, and I hope you do this, you'll go back and read the sermon, verses two through 50. You're probably gonna know most of the stories, but, but can you explain how those stories communicate who Jesus Christ is? See, that's what was so impressive about what, about what Stephen was doing and, and really what any child can do. And the reason why I say any child can do it because there's a resource, it's a children's resource that would help you to do this. You guys have heard me talk about this, the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. What she does is she takes most of the stories referenced here in Stephen's sermon and explains how they point to Jesus Christ. So what, what Stephen was doing here was, was he was explaining the truth. He was telling the truth and, 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 and in a way that they would understand as, old, as, as Jewish people. And he was pointing to Jesus Christ. But then he did something really courageous. It's not hard to speak the truth. It's not entirely hard. It's hard sometimes. What's really, really challenging and takes courage is to demonstrate the the grace that asks the hard question, calling people to repent. So the third thing, and I encourage you to write down and remember the pure in heart will demonstrate grace fueled courage. And that's what Stephen had. Grace fueled courage. You know, it takes courage to tell someone what they're doing is wrong. It takes courage to speak the truth in love and, and to offer a corrective. Uh, that's what Satan did. Now, again, is this methodology one that, would, that is practical that you should use every single time? Maybe not. Let's just look at it. Look at verse 51. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. I'm thinking about starting every sermon like that. What do you think? You think that's a good, kind of like, you know, a soft intro, just kind of warm it up the crowd a little. I mean, he, I mean, he's bringing it, but we also have to understand his, his circumstance. He's talking to people that he knows and that know him. He's already delivered the truth. He's already revealed the truth. And and, and there is still a pride. There is still an unwillingness to uh, to, to repent. And so what does he do? He he courageously, with a grace-fueled courage, calls them to change. Now, look at their response in verse 54. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Friends, don't be foolish and assume that every time you share the gospel that people are going to be real happy to hear about it. As a matter of fact, as our culture continues to, to fall into um, disastrous belief systems, we should anticipate that the message of the Bible and, and God's word in particular in the gospel is going to, to become something that causes people to grit their teeth at us and despise us. But, but we still must have courage to speak the truth. I, I was thinking about Dr. Bill Daniels, one of our... Um, elders who, who died a while back, uh, a friend to many of us. Many of you guys remember uh, Dr. Bill. And uh, many of you can remember Dr. Bill giving you bad news, news that you didn't want to hear. Uh, we were with, a, Carrie and I were eating dinner with a couple last night, and they were telling us about a time uh, that Dr. Bill had to deliver news that they they didn't want to hear that was really hard, and, and it hurt. And, and how gracious and kind he was in doing that. And I, I can remember um, in, in, his, in his last days of his life, uh, being at his house and he and, he and Annie were there. And, and uh, he was describing to me how the doctors talked to both of them, because of course they're both medical professionals. And so the, he would talk about how the doctors, they would, they would talk about all the scientific stuff of, of his cancer. And they would talk scientifically about all, all this stuff, but he said they wouldn't use the D word. And I was real curious, what which which D word are we talking about here, Doc? And, and, and he said, death. And he looked at me with a smile and he said, I'm dying. And I'm okay with that. People they didn't want to tell him, you're dying. Because that, that's uncomfortable, that's hurtful, that's that's hard. So you know that wasn't the first time Dr. Bill had had to come to the conclusion of his own death and, and the seriousness of the consequences. See, Dr. Bill was raised in a, a very Southern, a, a very strong home. They went to church, but he wasn't saved. So he was a gentle man. He was raised to be a very respectful, very responsible, good man. Now he would say he wasn't good, but I would tell you compared to me, that guy was good, all right? And he, he talks about when he was in college that, that there was someone who was courageous and loving enough to say, hey, look, you're a good person, but not good enough to get in heaven. The reality is, unless you repent and believe the gospel, you're in trouble. And, and just what Stephen did here with these people that day, that person did with Dr. Bill and made the case for it, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Walked them through Ro- the Romans' roads. You guys remember that? Romans 3:23, Romans 6:23, Romans 10 9. And Dr. Bill, because of the courageousness of that man, heard the gospel, he repented and believed, and he was saved. It takes courage to tell people information they don't want to hear. But when you do it with love and respect for the purpose of God's pleasure and his glory, well, it it changes everything. This is what Stephen did. And he was martyred for it. He was killed for it. Now, Stephen's death, at Stephen's death, he's... He saw Jesus, and he saw Jesus in a way that's very unusual. I've, I've mentioned this to you before. Um, in, the, in the Bible, when, when Jesus is mentioned in, in, in heaven, he's always seated at the right hand of God. I'm going to give you a flurry of scriptures to prove my point. This is Luke 22, 69, but Jesus said, but from now on the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God, Ephesians 1:20 that he worked in Christ when he was raised from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Colossians 3, 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Hebrews 8. Now, the point in which we are saying is this. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Hebrews 12, 2 looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. But that's not what Stephen saw. What did he see? Look in verse 55. But he, full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. Read this out loud with me. And what did he see? And, And Jesus Standing at the right hand of God. Everywhere else in the Bible, Jesus is seated. As Stephen, having served the Lord faithfully, he roused the King of kings and Lord of lords to his feet. Friends, live such a life that inspires the Lord of all to rise at your life. Said another way, live so that you hear Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And having seen Jesus, he then prays like Jesus. So what does he pray? Look at, look at verse 59. Look, what, look at how he prayed. Having seen Jesus, what does he do? As, and as they were stoning Stephen, as they, were stoning, as they are killing him, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Remember what Jesus prayed? It's on the screen. This is Luke 23. And Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those who were killing him, crucifying him. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then what did he pray? Then Jesus calling them out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. What did Stephen and, and, and Jesus do at their death? They prayed for their attackers. They were not angry. They were gracious. And then what did they do with confidence? Receive my spirit. Heaven is my home. Here I come get ready, get me in. Now, Stephen saw God. This pure in heart saw God. Now, we're in this life, and I understand there there may be a question that came into your mind, that certainly came into my mind as I was processing this this week, and it was 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So, what do we do with this? Well, I understand, I, I get there's so many things we cannot see or understand, but write it down and remember, for the pure in heart, faith becomes sight in, in life and death. It's not just in death, it's also in life. See, in life we can hold to Ephesians 1.18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? See, we may not get that clear view of Jesus the way Stephen did but, but what we can do is that we can see the body of Christ at work. I've seen God this summer. I saw him in 200 of you who volunteered at Flip. As you were lovingly guiding these children, I saw God, the body of Christ at work. I saw God in a deacon report this week. One of our deacons was, was caring for a family who'd lost a loved one. And the way he described the care, I thought to myself, That's God there there's there's god and a few weeks ago um i just kind of got teary-eyed in our our worship service because i saw a couple that had had been pursuing divorce and they were holding hands and they were singing praise to god and i thought there's god i got to see god And, and that's that's one of the joys of those who who are pure in heart by the gospel of god we get to see God, not only in life, but, but also in death. This is 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Friends, the Bible speaks very clearly about the reality of heaven Heaven is where God dwells and everyone who dies will stand before God. But if you listen to me very carefully, if if you have not been impacted by the gospel, you've been struck by something and you have a trajectory. But if you've not been struck by the gospel, if you've not been impacted by the gospel and transformed, you need to understand when you see God, what you're going to see is a blinding, painful light Because you're gonna see God in your current state, which is not identified with Christ. You're identified with something. Your purpose and and who you are is defined by something outside of you. But because it's not Christ, when you stand in his presence, in his holiness, in his grandeur, it will will be painful, you will be ashamed, and you will want to to be away from him, from that light. It will be blinding and, and you will suffer. Just as the last verse of the last chapter of Isaiah describes, and I challenge you to read it if you have the courage. But for those who believe, it will be a liberating healing light. We will be with our God in a way we never have been before. No more death, no more suffering, no more pain, no more doubt, no more fear, no more anxiety, no more fleshly temptations, Purely in and wholly complete in the presence of the Almighty. I've been thinking a lot about heaven this week. I've been thinking about Dr. Bill. And I've been thinking about Mrs. Denning and so many other wonderful hopers that I know that are in heaven today. And I've been thinking about Pastor Bill and the trajectory he's on. And the fact that he will will soon be home because like those others, he was struck by the gospel. He was impacted by the gospel and he was given a pure heart in Christ. He's been made alive in Christ Jesus and he shall see God. Oh, friends, what about you? What what has struck you? What defines you? What impacts you? What is your meaning in life? Is it God's pleasure? Is it God's glory in your thoughts and affections and will because you have been made new in Christ? If not, please don't leave until you've talked to someone here at the front who can help you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Are you with all that you are pursuing God's glorious purpose and will for you in Christ? Are you growing? Are are you disciplining yourself? Are you pushing yourself? Are you doing all that you can to be all that Jesus died for you to be? Or are you sitting there smug? I'm already good. I'm good enough. Oh, friends, repent. Let's stand together. Care leaders, if you would come forward. Oh, God, you are a good God. You are a gracious God. There is no God like you. And you have been willing to become one of us, but without sin. And you gave your life to pay the penalty for sin because the wages of sin is death. And so you died to pay for our sin, took our place so that we could be forgiven. And then you defeated death and now you're alive. And because you're alive, you, you can give us life. You can live in us and we can have eternal life. And I pray for anyone who is here today that does not experience this gospel impact. They've not been struck by the gospel and saved. I pray today they will come and that they will not leave until they've, they've, they have made sure of their assurance and have salvation in you alone. God, I pray for, for men and women and children in Christ who if they're honest. Their attitude is, I'm good enough. I've done my service. I've I've done the small group thing. I've done the church thing. I've done, and Lord, they're they're dishonoring you and they're missing out on the work you wanna do in and through them. And I pray today you would bring them to repentance, bring them to their knees. And even now, as we sing of the goodness of God, your goodness, God, that they will come and pray and renew their hope. God, do a work. We ask you to do it in Jesus' name, amen.